um, Bill to come and he is going to read scripture for us this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse uh, 10 and through verse 20, and I would invite you to please stand as we read scripture together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand it, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Uh, Thyricus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and and that he may encourage your hearts. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for the the opportunity of gathering together and um, sitting under the ministry of your word in the context of the local church. Uh, Lord, we are truly blessed. Uh, I ask, Lord, today as we continue to unpack this passage on the the, the spiritual warfare that we are all engaged in, that you would give us hearts that are humble, teachable, willing to uh, consider, Lord, what you are showing us about our own walk with you, uh, challenging us, convicting us. And Lord, just allow me as your messenger to, uh, Lord, be the mouthpiece for this text, that you would be seen that you would be understood, that you would be glorified. We ask in your precious holy name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. And um, as you are seated, let me uh, uh, invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the the book of Acts, in Acts chapter six. I wanna begin in Acts chapter six because I think there's a really important connection um, with Acts chapter six and Ephesians six. And as we go to Acts chapter six, we're gonna read verses one through six, and I want you, as I'm reading it, to ask this question. What was so important to the apostles that was being neglected? All right, what was so important to the apostles that was being neglected? And you may already know the answer, but let's allow our reading of this text to flesh that out. Acts chapter six, beginning at verse one. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, did you see the connection in this passage between preaching, prayer, and the ministry of the word? There was a neglect going on there of prayer and the ministry of the word, which 
encompass then this role that they had for preaching, for that ministry of the word. Because the weapons that God talks about in Ephesians are what? The word of God and prayer. These are two very primary weapons that God has given us. Now notice what happened as a result of them writing this neglect. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The idea of increase is to spread. It it began to impact. It began to, to do its work. And last week, one of the things we talked about was allowing the word of God to do what? To do its work. It is powerful, and it is a weapon that God has given us, but that weapon is not alone. There's a second weapon and that is the weapon of prayer. And so this connection between the, the word of God and prayer, they, they both go hand in hand. Thomas Manton, the Puritan pastor, um, said this, what we take in by the word, we digest by meditation and let out by prayer. These three duties must be ordered that one may not jostle out the other. Men are barren, dry, and sapless in their prayers for want of exercising themselves in holy thoughts. So in order to be an effective prayer warrior, you must be an effective student of the word. And not only that, there needs to be a meditation on that word that flows out in prayer. So when you talk about prayer, we can't talk about it if we want to be appropriate and accurate here without recognizing that that prayer is inseparably linked to the ministry of the word of God in the life of the believer. And so with that kind of a backdrop, it's a good reminder then for us to think about our present text, Ephesians chapter 6, and that Paul is telling his Ephesian readers here or listeners that they are in a battle and it is a spiritual battle and this battle is real, okay? And not only is this battle real, but God has given each uh, member of his body, each of his children, spiritual armor to wear. It's not, in a sense, your armor, it's his armor that he is allowing you to wear. And so that's a wonderful reality that God has given us that, right? So we can rest in the righteousness, not that we have, but that we are because of Christ's righteousness. We rest in the peace that comes from the security of the gospel that that we have eternal life that we have the hope of heaven and go on and so forth these are all spiritual realities that are described here as the armor and then we land on these two weapons the word of god and prayer Um, a number of years ago i had the opportunity of going to moscow on my way to ministering um, to some pastors in ufa and um, i had the opportunity of visiting the kremlin and in particular, the armory at the Kremlin. Now, the armory at the Kremlin is going to be a little different than maybe the armory um, at uh, uh, the Tower of London or something like that. It's going to be a little different because of the location. And what was interesting there is that you had armor from, uh, from the era of Genghis Khan. So you had the, 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 the people that were in the plains, and, and the kind of armor that they wore was leather, and there was some chain mail that was there, but there was a lot more cloth that was kind of doubled up and padded up. And then you also had the armor that the nobility wore in Russia, and this was full body armor. And you look at this stuff, and you're just like, how would someone actually wear that? And the person that was taking us through in this, this tour was saying that, that, they, that the people wearing this full body armor could not get on a horse by themselves. This armor was built to protect. It was thick and it covered every little kind of angle, so to speak, so that this person was put on a horse. But if that person fell off the horse, they were in trouble. And then we went to another room, and you see all these different weapons they had there. I mean, swords that are taller than you are. And the idea of that was it was a a big, long broadsword. And literally, it's supposed to cut off a bunch of limbs in one swipe. I mean, this is incredible stuff. And then they have things like lances that are over 15 feet long that they would use while they're on horses. You've seen this kind of jousting that goes on. But they use those in battle. Imagine, you know, 100 horses coming at you. And you're just, you know, you're infantry, so you're on the ground, you're standing there with your shield, and you've got all these lances coming at you. That's pretty overwhelming. 
And then they had things like maces and axes and pick hooks and spears. And um, I remember just vividly thinking to myself, um, this, is, you know, this is really a brutal way to go into battle. And especially if there's that kind of armor, you didn't die because of a spear wound. You know how you died. You were bludgeoned to death because they just keep beating on the armor until what's in there gets shaken around and finally dies. I mean, just an incredibly horrible kind of way to go into battle, and yet that was the kind of fighting that took place. But in the context of that, again, you think to yourself, the hindrances that come with wearing that kind of battle, the weight of the armor, the weight of the weapons, the inability to to see well with all this kind of stuff on your head and the difficulty in mobility. Now, as you think about that kind of armor, you turn to the armor that Paul describes here, there's a considerable difference. The armor that the Roman soldier wore um, left the person protected in the vital areas, but that person was also very agile to fight in the battle. And so there's a, there's a different picture here to, to help us understand maybe what this, this battle looks like and the armor that we wear um, looks like. So on, on a spiritual level, when we're in the battle, there may be some reasons why uh, we are hindered from using uh, the weapon here now of prayer and that, that might hinder us from actually going into battle effectively. But we have the armor of God. It's not the armor that's hindering us. The wielding of the weapon might hinder us and the activity of prayer might hinder us. We might have some things that would get in the way of that. So let's talk a little bit this morning about ways in which um, believers fail to pray as they should. And what was interesting to me as I studied for this week is how many people that I, that I consider to be you know, godly examples, um, commentators, men of old that we, could, we hold up as kind of great leaders in the church, all of them over and over again said, I struggle with prayer. Prayer is difficult for me. And I, I am discouraged because I don't pray like I should. And I was glad to hear that, <laughs> because I think, I think all of us in this room probably would come to the place where we say, you know, we, yeah, we believe in prayer, we want to pray, but boy, we fall short of what God has called us to. And so let's just think through, what are some reasons why that might be? Number one, a, a lack of knowledge. Some people just don't know what it means to pray. They haven't you know, opened God's word, studied it, no one's really taught them. Maybe it's been taught, but they haven't paid too much attention uh, haven't thought too much about it, but there is, there is a need for us to know what prayer is and what it looks like and how to do it. Then secondly, there's a, a lack of discipline. It takes discipline to pray. It takes a moment to say, I'm going to do this you know, regularly at this particular point in time, and I'd be the first one to say that I struggle with that discipline. But discipline is one of those areas where I think people do struggle when it comes to prayer. A lack of conviction would be the next one. Do you actually believe that anything will happen if you pray? And sometimes we prayed for things and what we want hasn't turned out. And we may come to the conclusion, you know, prayer may just, just doesn't actually work. I beg to differ, and scripture would beg to differ, but sometimes that can affect us. We just don't think that it's going to be doing anything effective. A lack of connection. I just don't feel close to God. I don't feel connected with him. I don't feel near God. And someone might say, that's the reason why I'm not praying. And I would say, that's the reason to pray, right? And by the way, whether you feel near to God doesn't change the fact that if you're one of his children, you are near to God. One of my children might say, I don't feel like I'm a Phillips. But you are a Phillips. How you feel about it doesn't change it. If you're a child of God, you are his child, and he loves you with a love that is incredible, okay? Now, there may be some things that you've done, you've sinned, you continue to sin. It may have kind of been a block in your relationship, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to interact with you. But we think sometimes, if we're seeing God in the wrong way, that because I don't feel a connection, that I can't pray. And then the last one would be a lack of Vision, a lack of vision. Uh, they're not really aware of the need to pray. We might pray for some big things, 
um, you know, when, when you know, 9-11 hits, something like that. Oh, okay, now we're going to pray. But the little things of life are like, ah, it's no big deal. You know, we're not going to pray about those things. I just don't see the vision and the need for prayer. And, and that's just kind of a short list of some ways in which we struggle with prayer. And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to see prayer not just standing alone, but see, prayer is part of this weaponry that God has given his soldier in the midst of the battle. And if you're a child of God, you are a soldier, and you are adorned with the armor of God. And yet, you have to put it on. I mean, you have to put it on by, by saying, but I'm going to appropriate what God says is true about me to be true. I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to live in light of it. But he also then says, you need to exercise uh, and use the weaponry that I have given you. So last week we looked at the word of God. Today we're going to look at the prayer in that light. And here we have then a general description of prayer. And that's found in verse 18. A general description of prayer. And as we look at verse 18, let's just read it. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for the saints. And so what we have is in this little verse are five marks of a soldier's weapon of prayer. I would say five instructions, five guidelines, five ways in which um, we are to pray and how it's described. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through those five, um, just talk briefly about each one. And maybe not necessarily in the order that the verse reveals it, but I want to begin here by thinking about the first way that we pray, and that is praying in the Spirit praying in the Spirit. Now what's important here is to talk about, first of all, what praying in the Spirit is not. And the reason I say that is because um, in the Pentecostal and charismatic, um, I want to say, uh, arm of the church, um, one of the things that happens is, is when, when you come to a passage and, and, and the Spirit is mentioned, then all sorts of stuff is thrown into what does that mean? And so one of the things that that praying in the spirit is not. It's not talking about speaking in tongues, okay? And it's important to say because a lot of times in that realm and what you'll find in Christendom many times that comes from the Pentecostal and charismatic realm is that praying in the spirit, simply praying in tongues, it's the spiritual gift that is being used to pray to God. First of all, there's nothing in the context of Ephesians here that would indicate that that is true. So that is really forcing something onto this text. Secondly, the idea of praying in tongues um, in the way that is being described is really a distortion of what 1 Corinthians 14.2 is actually talking about. Um, but it's worth at least noting that tongues was, in the early church, a legitimate gift given to that early church and for the purpose of communicating the gospel to peoples, ethnicities, who may be gathered, who do not speak your language. And so the gift was someone that would stand up, and they would be exercising this spiritual gift, and they would speak a language they do not know. But the people that are from that ethnic group heard their language from the mouth of this person. So unless you knew that language, you didn't know what this was. Okay? And for the benefit of everyone else that was in that room, there was an interpreter. And again, that was a person that didn't know that language but had the gift of interpretation that could interpret for those that were speaking a different language what that tongue was. Okay? That was legitimate. And during the course of the early church, that passed away. All right? That would be what I would believe is true about, I would say, the gifts of speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Secondly, it is not some kind of a mystical experience as if praying in the spirit is some, getting in touch with the spirit and all that kind of stuff. That is not what is going on here. That's not what scripture means by this. That is what we have filled in to understand what praying in the spirit is about. Okay? And so there's a lot of people who will come to a, to a statement like this and they'll, they'll put a lot of stuff into it that scripture is not indicating is there. So we don't measure um, are praying in the spirit by how we feel in that prayer or the experience of that prayer. All right, so now the question is, what is praying in the spirit? Praying in the spirit, first of all, is prayer that is directed by the spirit. 
This is when the Holy Spirit tells us what we should be praying for. And sometimes we know specifically what we should be praying for because we have been spending time reading God's word. We know what God says in his word, and therefore we pray according to his word. Now, isn't it interesting that Paul describes the word of God as the sword of the what? Spirit. So the spirit... is working, breathing out the word, is working through the word, and then we pray in the spirit according to the spirit. So the word of God then is the basis of those prayers. So we're talking about things like wisdom and peace and integrity and clarity and comfort. And in fact, look if you have your, books, your Bibles open to um, Ephesians chapter one and verse 15 um, is Paul's first prayer in this letter. I'm not going to read it all, but the summary of that would say Paul prays for the Ephesian believers to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and then to have their hearts enlightened to know the hope to which God had called them. And then in chapter 3, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And again, summarizing that, he prays that they would be strengthened with the power through his Holy Spirit in their inner being, for them to be strengthened to comprehend Um, or for strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth. For the believers to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. For the believers to be filled with the fullness of God. So Paul here is not only talking about prayer, but he's also modeling it for them. But these are all things that flow out of the Spirit's direction. So the Holy Spirit will never lead us to pray contrary to the will of God as revealed in the word of God. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to pray contrary to the will of God as revealed in the word of God. How do you know the will of God? You've been given the word of God. And so he will, he will not contradict that. So a person cannot pray in the spirit in this way. Lord, bless me as I enter into this marriage with an unbeliever. You're praying a prayer that is not in the spirit because it's contrary to the word of God because God doesn't desire that believers marry an unbeliever. Or, Lord, guide my hand and bless my family as I steal this item from the grocery store. You know what? We, we rationalize things. And we might actually pray that God would give us help to do sinful things. That is not praying in the spirit. Okay? So the, the spirit directs our prayers, and we know what the Spirit is directing because his word reveals his will. But we also need to pray by, directed by the Holy Spirit when we don't know what to pray, and this is Romans chapter eight and verse 26 and 27, okay? Sometimes we've read God's word and we've spent time meditating on God's word and there's a particular situation before us and we are at a loss as to how to pray as to what to pray. And this is where, uh, where the Holy Spirit kicks in, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for, uh, as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Derek Prime, that book I mentioned earlier, says in there, praying in the spirit is to pray with the concerns of the spirit foremost. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, our own sanctification, the needs of people who are without God and without Christ in this world. So it's prayer that is directed by the spirit. It is also prayer that is dependent on the spirit prayer that is dependent on the Spirit. A prerequisite to praying in the Spirit is a humble confession and repentance, knowing Psalm 66, verse 18, that says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And that's why at the beginning of our prayers, Um, Often we we begin with repentance, we begin with confession because we want to make sure that 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 is cleaned out of the way so that the Lord will now hear the petitions that we bring him. 
And so, friends, it's really important to take that seriously. Okay? Now, if we think that we can somehow come before God's holy throne in the power of the Holy Spirit while at the same time holding on to sin in our lives, um, we are deceived. Unless that is a prayer of what? Repentance. Okay? God loves to hear the repentance of his children. Okay? But when we're unrepentant and coming before God, thinking that somehow, you know, God is going to be rejoicing over that, no, he, he wants us to, to repent and to be restored. So to pray in the Spirit is a prayer that is depending on the Spirit and not on your own strength. And John Bunyan, I think, helps us um, uh, when he says this, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to the word of God for the good of the church with the submission in faith to the will of God. Now I know that's a mouthful, but it's a helpful statement. Let me, let me say it one more time, not that you can write it down, but to ponder it. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to the word of God for the good of the church with the submission in faith to the will of God. See, prayer is this, this passionate, affectionate crying out to God. And, and friends, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful gift that we have been given to pray, to come before God and to pour our, 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 our concerns, our anxieties, our burdens on him. So that's praying in the spirit. Secondly, there's praying continually, praying continually. Now sadly for many people, prayer is the last resort when they're going through difficulty. They say, we've done all that we can do, now all we can do is pray. <laughs> um, okay, I think that's a little wrong here. Again, Bunyan's really helpful. He, he, he says, um, you, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Let me say that again. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Just prayer is, is so critically important. So praying at all times literally means praying at every opportunity. It's the same idea behind Paul's word to the Thessalonians when he says pray without ceasing. Now that might be kind of an unusual picture for us that you're, just, you know, you're constantly on your knees with hands like this. All right, how are you going to cook dinner if you're praying like that, right? All right how are you, you going to take a shower? How are you going to bathe the kids? How are you going to get them ready for school? All right? So obviously that picture must be something else because God is not kind of looking at it and painting that kind of a picture. The Greek word behind this praying without ceasing um, really is used in two ways in antiquity, okay? It's used of someone who has a hacking cough. You know what it's like to have a hacking cough. It's like, <coughs> right? And then 30 seconds later, <coughs> and then maybe a minute later, <coughs> and then maybe five minutes later, it's like, <coughs> right? And then it just goes on and on and on, but it's broken up by little bits. <coughs> Excuse me, I got a frog in my throat now. Um, all right, but that's kind of this praying without ceasing. It's just this constant, this constant, you know, going to God, going to God, going to God. As you're reminded of it, as you have opportunity, taking care of your responsibilities, you're going back with it again, okay? It's also used in antiquity of, of a, an army that is repeatedly um, seeking to uh, assault a particular target, or maybe it's a... Um, you know, maybe it's a city or something like that. But the, you know, the army goes and they rush upon this, this, the enemy and they, you know, they finally they get into the battle and then there's a retreat and they come back and they regroup again and they go back again. It's that kind of regrouping and going back, fighting the battle, coming back, regrouping, and then going back again. So this re repetition of prayer, this, this consistency in prayer is what um, we are being called to do. Now, I absolutely love Martin Lloyd-Jones. I find him to be a great source of wisdom. And uh, there's something that he says here in his book uh, on preaching, Preachers and Preachers. Um, 
that is advice that I think is helpful for me, um, but I think that the principle is helpful for us all. Here's what he says. He says, above all, and this I regard as most important of all, always respond to every impulse to pray. Always respond to every impulse to pray. Then he goes on, he says this, the impulse to pray may come when you are reading or when you're battling with a text. Now he's speaking to pastors, right? I would make any, an absolute law of this. Always obey such an impulse. Where does it come from? It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is a part of the meaning of work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. Always respond to every impulse to pray. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge myself here, just as I'm going through, through, through life, that when, when there's an impulse to pray, that I will actually be faithful to do that. The question is, what does that look like? Does that mean that, again, you're, oh, I've got to pray. All right, so I'm in the grocery store, and I had an impulse. Let me get down here and get on my knees and all that kind of stuff. That's, no, no, no. Prayer, prayer can be done in the quietness of your heart, but as you're reminded of certain things, you're saying, God, you know, I just want to come to you quickly as I'm doing something here, and I want to I bring this to you. It's just it's being mindful of interacting with God through prayer, not just kind of quarantining it off and saying, well, I got my five minutes of prayer in today, boom, I did my thing, but it's living a life that is permeated and active with prayer going on, as well as times that are purposeful and disciplined times of prayer, okay? So this is prayer that is without ceasing or continual prayer. Then there's praying with variety, praying with variety. It says in verse 18, with all prayer and supplication. All different kinds of prayer um, and supplication. Now as Christians seek to fulfill the commands to stand firm, they will have many requests for themselves and for other people. And this of course will flow out of that continual prayer that we have just looked at because when we're praying continually we'll find ourselves in various situations um, with, um, uh, which will demand various kinds of prayer. The Apostle Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and says this, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So he's talking about a variety of kinds of prayer. So it's not just the kinds of prayers, but it's also the content of those prayers. Our varied prayers will take the form of things like confession, thanksgiving, intercession, adoration, meditation, song. Now let's turn our Bibles just quickly to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I want you just to notice the, the Lord's Prayer and the different kinds of prayer that are actually going on in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, and just beginning at verse 9. Jesus says, pray like this. Now remember, the disciples said before that, teach us how to pray, right? And so this is Jesus' response. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's worship. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's missions, evangelism, that's discipleship. Give us this day our daily bread. That's prayer for personal needs. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's confession, that's repentance. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, that's holiness. You just get these different categories that are flowing out of this prayer. There are different purposes in that prayer. There's different content that's going on. So it's reminding us that the prayer is not just like this one big lump that's always the same. There are varieties of kinds of prayers and there's a varieties of content within those varieties of prayers that need to take place. In the context of our church gathering this morning and every Sunday we gather, we have multiple prayers. I begin with what's called a call to worship. And it's a time to open up God's word and then to pray, to, to kind of gather ourselves into what we're doing as we're gathering together for worship. Then in the context of our song set, 
Uh, the person who's leading typically closes with a prayer of praise that flows out of the songs that we've just been singing. And then, during the announcement time, we have what we call a pastoral prayer. Usually the person who's leading that is one of the elders, um, or J.D., who is our, who is in, our intern. They will pray, and it'll be kind of a prayer for the church and for the benefit of the church and the people who are in the church. And then, as we read God's word and we prepare to enter into God's word, I pray, pray for help, for God to do his work. All right, and then at the end of this, I'll pray for God to apply this now and to work in our hearts. And then at the end of the service, we have someone come that kind of gives a prayer that, that wraps it all up together. These are a variety of different kinds of prayers that have different purposes. Now, in the, in the, the, the high church, that means that the churches that have a little bit more liturgy, they actually have these long words for all those different things. All right, there's the invocation, there's the benediction, right? It's the opening prayer, it's the closing prayer, right? The, again, the, the purpose, though, is to come to God at different times for different purposes in the context of a service. You get that? In life, it's the same way. In life, we are going to be using a variety of prayers, and the content of those prayers are going to be different. Then there's pray persistently. Pray persistently. And here we have in verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Now, this, this whole passage, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, really has, a, has a, 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 a thread going through it. There are three participles that are, I might want to say, the core thread that, that everything else hangs on. The first one um, is the word standing, right? And that's talking about you have the armor of God. Once you have the armor of God, you are to be standing, and you are to be wielding your weapon while you're standing. So it's standing. The next one is praying. And then the next one is um, uh, keeping alert, and in English that would translate maybe into um, watching, okay? You want to use that word if you want to use an ing word, right? Standing, praying, watching. So these are the, the, this is the, your mode. This is, this is what you are, in a sense, doing while you're wearing the armor. This is, this is what God is calling us to. So Paul is telling us to stand firm against the enemy by being alert to persevere and pray for all the saints, it's what Jesus had in mind when he told the disciples in the garden, Matthew 26, verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. So there's this idea then, first of all, of keeping alert in this idea of persistence. Keeping alert in prayer. And it tells us to be on the lookout for what to pray for. So let me just kind of paint a picture here. When you see a brother struggling in prayer, uh, or struggling in a particular sin, I should say, then you, you, know, you say, okay, you know what? There's a person who's struggling with sin. I'm going to uphold that person in prayer. When I look around or I'm interacting with other people and I find out, hey, someone's, someone's suffering, maybe someone's in the hospital or someone's got some other struggle going on, I know how to pray for them too. Okay? I'm being watchful. I'm being alert. When you see someone who's discouraged or depressed and maybe someone that you're shocked is in that way, you begin to pray for them. All right? Rather than condemning people, you're watching to pray for them. Okay, so you're being watchful. Another one would be when you are aware that a couple is having marital difficulties. Pray for healing and direction. The point here is this. Be alert, be watchful, and then pray. And we, we ought to always be listening. And so hopefully, you know, during our times, the, the, the break that we have in the middle, you know, after our song set and announcements, and then our time in the Word, we have about 15 minutes or so. It's not about bagels. I'm sorry, that's probably crushing your world right now. It's not about donuts, it's not about coffee. It really is about the body of Christ connecting. And during those times of connecting, I actually you know, bumped into a number of people here this morning and got a little better understanding of how I can pray for them. Because they shared, hey, I'm going through this. Or this is what's happening in my life. I want to celebrate because this happened in my life. And so we, we connect, and these are opportunities now with connecting that we can now be mindful about how we can pray for one another. All right? So we are to be alert. Secondly, then we're to be persistent with this, uh, this perseverance. And so in that sense, we want to go to um, a, a, a parable that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, 
Uh, This is one of Jesus' prayer parables in the Gospel of Luke, and that paints a picture of what he means by persistent prayer. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 2. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Okay? Now, what was the point that Jesus was making with this story? It wasn't that we beat God with our prayers, but it's that we are persistent with our prayers. How do we know that? Look at verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. All right? Be persistent. Keep praying on and on and on. And as I, as I talk about this, I'm reminded of one situation in my, my experience, and that was my friend Jim Newcomer. I remember when I was in college, we were in the same, uh, same prayer group, which means that there were three rooms that were together. Every night we would come together for prayer. So that's about, about 10 guys or so. And, and every time we had prayer group, uh, anyone have any prayer requests? Yeah, pray that my dad would get saved. And for four years, Pray that my dad would get saved. During his senior year, I think it was, um, his dad suddenly got acute leukemia. And he rushed off from school to see his dad. Finally got to see his dad. Just a couple of days later, he died. Um, and he told me, he said, he says, I'm not, not messing around. I made it very, very clear. But as my dad was dying during those last couple of days, um, he embraced Christ as his Lord and Savior. It was a persistent prayer and sometimes we're reluctant to throw that prayer request out there because it's like you know I'm asking for prayer this and it doesn't seem like anything's happening and why should I keep on doing it be persistent trust God keep praying keep praying you see it's not in your control (laughs) what is in your control is your persistence in prayer so be persistent and trust then as you are persistent Uh, rest then on the sovereignty of God to answer your prayers, even those persistent prayers, according to God's timing and not your own. Persistence doesn't guarantee immediate results. It doesn't guarantee your desired results. Okay? But it is the means by which God is working his will. He is working his will through the persistent prayers of his children. So, Pray passionately and persistently and trust in his timing. He's a good God. He knows what he's doing. So pray in the spirit. Pray continually. Pray with variety. Pray persistently. And finally, pray for all believers. Making supplication for all the saints, Paul says here. This is a reminder that we're not living in this world in isolation. We are gathered together as Gateway Bible Church here this morning. We are not living our walk with God in isolation. We are living this, this, this life in community, and we need one another. We need to be praying for one another. And so this kind of builds on what we were talking about, being watchful, because we are, when we gather as a church, we pray for one another, but there are some who are struggling with physical problems. There are some who are having challenges raising their families, there are some who have financial obstacles or they're in difficult places at work. Um, some Christians here are young believers and they're beginning to learn what it means to follow Christ um, or even, even putting on the armor. It's just kind of awkward. They're not exactly sure what that looks like. And uh, Others are working hard to battle particular sins in their lives that are just consuming them and others are sharing the gospel at work and their neighborhood uh, and with their families and they're just, they're just needing our prayers. And so we're praying for believers. We're praying for all the saints. And so when we turn our focus then to the saints, we're turning the focus to one another. And one of the places in the context of what we're doing where that fleshes out is, yeah, when we gather on a Sunday morning, we're able to interact with each other 
more formally, when we gather together in home groups, one of the, the big purposes of a home group time is that we, we do articulate application from the passage we're studying, but it's also a time to interact and to pray for one another, but also to go home with the prayer requests that have been given there so that we can hold them up in prayer, as well as in a, any small group that we may have, men's, ladies, whatever it might be, these are opportunities then for us to be praying for one another for the saints. And then we also have a responsibility, I think, um, to be praying for those that we are in partnership with, meaning we are in partnership with people like Matias and Medi Mojica in Bolivia and the church in Bolivia, and just praying for them. They are, they are a sister church, so to speak, and we want to be mindful to continue to pray for those uh, who, who are serving the Lord in different places. I would also add, you know, we've had a number of pastors or a number of guys come into our church to fill the pulpit who are trying to figure out exactly what is God doing in their lives, and we want to continue to pray for them. So pray for the Travises of this world, right? Pray, pray for the, the um, um, JRs of this world. Pray, pray for people who, who are trying to, you know, saying, God, I want to be used. I want to serve in ministry, but, but how does that flesh out? We want to be praying for believers like that. The point is that each and every follower of Christ is in the battle, wearing God's armor and being ushered along by the wave of prayers of other believers who are interceding for them as they fight the battle. So Paul says here, we ought to pray in the spirit continually with variety, persistently, and for all the believers. That's a general description of prayer. But now let's turn our focus to what Paul says next, calling this a personal application of prayer, a personal application of prayer. Because Paul says, now pray for me. Now we need to see the impact of that statement and what Paul is teaching here. Paul is in jail under house arrest, having been used by God in some amazing ways but he's also had to endure much hardship as a soldier. I'm gonna read from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 25 and following. You can just listen to the things that Paul says that he's been through. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Anyone in there? Just, just checking, all right. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangerous from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. So he's been to Oakland, apparently. Okay. In, in toil and hardship, though many asleep this night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. I just, here, here's Paul. Now, 2 Corinthians is it's just this pastoral kind of, you know, I, I, I have all this affection for you, church in Corinth, that has turned against me. So he's, he's being very, very vulnerable, very, very open and transparent about the things that, that he is actually going through. But of all the people, it is Paul that has put on the whole armor of God, right? I mean, he's the guy that has the truth. He's the guy, you would say, has articulated righteousness. He's the guy that understands the gospel that he describes as the gospel of peace. He's the one who, who knows what faith is in the midst of his struggles. He's the one that is, is a, has a grasp of salvation and the implications of that. And he has wielded with great skill the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And yet, what does he do? He asks the Ephesian believers to pray on his behalf. Look at verse 19 now. Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Bottom line, what Paul is saying is to the Ephesian believers, I can't go on in ministry without your prayers. Now, friends, the reality is we need each other's prayers. We need the prayers of the body of Christ to help us move on. It's not that, you know, Paul's saying, well, I'm the, I'm the super saint here. I need your prayers. This is true of all of us. We all need to be praying for one another 
And he gives now two specific ways that he's asking uh, them to pray. And, and, and these two ways, I think, are applicable to us too. But we'll see it through the lens of Paul. First of all, pray for clarity with the gospel. Clarity with the gospel. Paul was in many different contexts. He interacted with many different people. And different contexts and different people will need to hear the same gospel. Paul is praying that God would give him the right words to say in the right context. In Acts chapter 17, Paul finds himself in Athens, um, actually in the Areopagus, and he is a, he's about to speak. And we find there in verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are religious. For as I passed along in the, and, uh, uh, and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now what is Paul doing there? Some might say, well, you know, Paul was just really, really skillful. I mean, he had this mind, this skillful mind, and, and you know, and, and, and he had this great, you know, this knack of being able to draw things from the culture so that he would have the opportunity to present the gospel. I, I would beg to differ with you. I would, I, would, I would say that his ability to do that was not something that was own, his own skill, that there was something divine that was going on him that when he walked through, he saw something, and it was a means by which in that context, with different people in a different context, he could present the same gospel. And he's praying because he knows he's going to be in other contexts, and he's going to be bringing other scenarios that will be means by which now he can present a different gospel, present the same gospel clearly in that context. And friends, we all live in that world, don't we? We're all in different contexts. Each day for us can be a different context. And we want to pray that God would give us clarity so that we can bring the gospel to bear in those contexts in a way where it's understood where it's grasped. So this isn't something necessarily was just part of his skill set. This was a divine activity. Secondly, pray for courage in the gospel. I mean, just think about who's praying this. Think about all the things he's gone through. Think about all the churches that God has established through his missionary endeavor. Paul was bold. He was courageous. And he's in jail because of the gospel. And now he says, pray for me. Again, I'm reading it verse 19, also for me, that, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, what? Boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So even now, after all these years, he still knew his weakness and he was still dependent on the Holy Spirit and the prayers of the saints to accomplish what God had called him to do. And friends, we need to pray for one another that we can declare the gospel clearly in different contexts and that we can be courageous as we share the gospel to share the gospel. So let me bring things now to somewhat of an end here. All right, some concluding thoughts. Three things I wanna leave you with and we may take a little bit of time in each, so each of these. First of all, I think it's really important having gone through what Paul has shown us here and what he's, what, he's, what he's declared to the Ephesians and then ultimately to us in fighting the spiritual warfare, uh, we need to learn how to pray. So the first thing is this, we all need to learn how to pray. And this is where I would I would bring up Don Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines in the Christian Life, as one, uh, one kind of resource that would be helpful. But you know, are we learning? Are you growing in your learning of how to pray? So how do we do that? Okay, let me give you four, four areas to work on. The first one's really easy. Uh, the first way we can learn how to pray is by praying. <laughs> okay? Now, you say, well, that's kind of, you know, duh, no. Uh, don't avoid praying. I think in praying, in praying, you actually learn how to pray. Let me give you an example. Um, 
Um, when I was in Michigan growing up, I was a teenager, probably about 17 or so, I had a friend who was a um, ski instructor. He was same age as me, but he was a ski instructor at a local ski hill. And I said, well, I've never been skiing before. Can you take me sometime? He said, sure. So I went, uh, I went to, it was Mount Holly, and, and I had to rent skis and boots, and they all kind of felt weird and awkward. And, um, and, you know, and, I, and I, I love skiing. I mean, before then, I used to watch Olympics all the time, I used to watch the downhill and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so he says, all right, this is what you need to do. We're going to get on the chairlift. We're going to get up to the top. And then when we get up, we're going to turn around and we're going to come down this hill. I thought, fine, no problem. He says, now just be careful when you get on the ski lift that you keep your skis up. Because if you don't, you get caught. And no one, you're definitely a rookie if you get caught up there. And I'm all right, I don't want to do the rookie thing, right? Um, so I get up to the top and I, I turn right and I see a hill before me. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. And I start pushing and I get into a tuck. Listen, I've watched James Bond before, haven't you? <laughs> this is what you do when you go skiing, right? I mean, so I, I just went and I just went down the bottom, and behind me I hear this, no, stop, no! And it's like, I haven't learned that one yet. I'm still working on the downhill part. Um, but I got down to the bottom, and he said, don't you ever do that again, all right? Uh, but the reality was that I learned then to ski. I'm not saying this is a model for how you learn how to ski. But I learned by actually getting the skis on and actually going out on the hill, and going down the hill, and I got some of the feeling. Now I had to learn the techniques of skiing and realize what was foolish about what I did, but I had to get out there. You're not gonna learn to pray unless you begin to pray, all right? Secondly, um, it would be meditating on the scriptures. So this, this goes hand in hand now with what we talked about last week. As we study God's word, even what we're, we're looking at today, as we're opening up this, this passage in the book of Ephesians. But there are ways in which meditating on a passage of scripture feeds us for prayer. So it's not just, okay, I wanna pray what I'm gonna pray for. If you are spending time in the word of God, there are gonna be things in that passage that are gonna come to the surface. They may be things that are directly um, focused at your heart, areas of confession, areas of repentance, uh, areas of progress that you wanna work on, but the word of God is going to be the, the basis of that. Again, Whitney in his book says this, after the input of a passage of scripture, meditation allows us to take what God has said to us and think deeply on it, and then speak to God about it in meaningful prayer. As a result, we pray about what we've encountered in the Bible, now personalized through meditation. It is not unusual, I think, for a child of God to read a passage of scripture, to meditate it, and say, God, I don't know if I can do this. If you're saying to God, I don't know if I can do this, what is that? You're talking to God, right? It's a form of prayer. So you go to God and say, God, you say this. I'm having difficulty understanding how I can do that. You're on the right road. <laughs> right, because you're talking to God about it. You need his help. And through prayer, you begin to, to dialogue with God about what you've been reading and say, God, I, I need more direction. And, and he will lead you then maybe to another passage of Scripture that will give you some clarification. But meditating on the word of God is, is a means by which we develop this this, uh, this habit of prayer. The third thing is this, praying with other people. Praying with other people. That's what the disciples did with Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I will throw out a caveat here. Other godly people, okay? But, you know, there's something about, if, you know, you're like, you know, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to pray, and, you know, here's a person that I respect, and I want to hear how they pray, and how they go about it, because you might have a completely different view of prayer, but when you, you get next to someone or you're in, in a prayer gathering with someone, you're like, wow, you know, this, this person, they didn't have all these kind of, you know, high fluting, you know, dear God, look upon my lowly soul, grant to me, you know, and you're like, you know, I don't speak that way. And this person's just, just pouring out their heart in a transparent way. And you're learning, okay, I can talk to God just, just like, like he, is, he is God. I, 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 I treat him with reverence, but I can speak plainly about life to him. And when you, when you pray with others, you learn these things. Now, you also need to be careful because there are others that use vain repetition, right? Or Christian cliches. You can pray for a good long time just putting Christian cliches together. And we, we, we're, we're so 
unaware that we use them. They're all part of what we do. And I probably use them when I preach and don't even know that I'm doing it. Okay? So we want to be careful that, that our prayers then, as, we, as we're modeling prayers for our children, and they're listening to us, parents, that our prayers are not cliched and they're not vain repetitions, but they are genuine prayers that flow out of a heart that has meditated on the word of God. And then, of course, the, the, the last one I would give you here, as far as guidance is concerned, is read about prayer. And that's why I mentioned those two books to you, Practical Prayer by Derek Prime and Spiritual Disciplines in the Christian Life by Don Whitney. I would say be careful um, as you look for resources on prayer because there are many that are out there that tend to, to be much more mystical in how they go in prayer. And it's kind of like, you know, you go into this prayer closet and the more time you spend there, you kind of move into another level. And that's, that's not where scripture is taking us. That's, that's kind of a, um, a more... I don't know what you call it, but more of kind of an experiential approach. And, and, and I would just caution you against that. So that's why I'm giving you some, some guidance here to some great resources on prayer, okay? It's certainly reading the prayers that are in the word of God is a good way to kind of view and study prayer also. And then the Psalms, much of those are songs, but much of those are also prayers, okay? Um, and so those are just opportunities for us to learn more about prayer. Isn't it interesting that... that um, we, we actually learn a lot about David in his psalms. Um, we, we find out the heart of this guy, and it's sinfulness. Just raw, laid out in the psalms. Um, and yet, it's beautiful, because, yeah, I feel like that too. And I'm just as sinful as you are, David, and thank you for being as transparent in your wrestling match with God on this. It's helpful. Not only learn how to play, pray, then I think the second thing um, is going to be to plan to pray plan to pray. And, and I, I want to paint a picture for you. It's just one picture, but I think it may be a helpful way to kind of think through how do you pray. So think of in the morning, what would I pray for? In the morning, pray petitions, petitions, okay? So you bring petitions before God. You're asking God to do certain things. Lord, I have a day ahead of me. This is the, these are the things that I have responsibilities for. I'm asking, Lord, for help and for wisdom. You know that you know, I have this, this, this struggle with my health or I have this burden on my shoulders. And so these are all petitions you're bringing to God. You do that in the morning, okay? Then at, in the evening, they're prayers of confession and repentance because you're looking back on the day the day that you prayed that God would give you strength and whatever to do these things, right? And you look back and you're like, oh man, I failed here and I failed here and I sinned here and I didn't do this. And So you, you're looking back and you're, you're repenting, okay? I was really, really encouraged this week as I, as I read an article that was an interview um, with Tim Keller and he was talking about this dynamic. And this, this petitions in the morning and this repentance in the evening is, is a, pretty, a pretty common kind of framework to, 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 to kind of bookend our day. But then he talked about what he does in the middle, and that's the part that, that was helpful for me. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read some of this to kind of help you understand where he's coming from, and, and this, was, this was good for me, and, I, and because it was good for me, I wanna give it to you, because I think it would be helpful here just to, to give you something to, to chew on and to hold on to. He says, but in the middle of the day, he says, I try to catch myself, and I look for four kinds of emotions. Four kinds of emotions. I'll put, I'll put this little statement up there. He says, I always pray in the morning. Lord, make me happy enough in the grace of Jesus to avoid being proud, cold, scared, and hooked. Now by proud, I mean what you think. Um, too self-congratulatory. And maybe disdainful of, of people who I don't think have it together. By cold, um, I mean, I'm just too absorbed in my concerns to really be compassionate and gracious and warm and joyful to the people around me. By scared, I mean, I'm just obviously too anxious and too worried about things that I'm dealing with throughout the day. By hooked, <clears throat> I mean, when you're overworked. It means for me, eating. This is his confession, okay? Okay, it's my confession too, all right. Um, Eating things I shouldn't eat just because it's a way of keeping my energy up and also because it's a way of rewarding myself or looking at a woman more than once. Now in the middle of the day, I get it out. So he gets out this, this kind of 
these, these four things, and say, have I been proud, scared, cold, or hooked in the last three to four hours? And the answer usually is, yeah. And then I say, how do I bring the gospel to bear on that? How does the grace of God deal with it? And you try to catch yourself in those feelings. So basically finding problem feelings and inordinate desires, catch them when they are happening. Try to deal with them with the gospel right there. I, I just think that's really good, helpful, practical advice. So you know, I want to just challenge I want to challenge you to, to, to stop maybe looking at prayer as kind of a, a chunk that I have to get through, but look at prayer as an interaction that I am in. That there are times of greater interaction. There are times of, of targeted, purposeful interaction. There's a morning where I'm laying out the petitions for the day. There's an evening where I'm, I'm reflecting on that, and I'm looking back, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to God in repentance. And then there's this ongoing prayer that is happening throughout the day that I'm saying, you know, have I been proud? Have I been cold? Have I been scared? Have I been hooked? I think those are some good words to, to kind, of, kind of, you know, hold on to what's happening during the day. So that's good counsel. And the third thing that I would draw your attention to is this. Will you pray? <laughs> Learn to pray. Plan to pray. The question is, will you pray? If we are to be wielding the weapon of the sword and the weapon of prayer, if we neglect one of those two things, that is gonna hinder us in our pursuit of Christ likeness. It's gonna hinder our church from being as effective as it could be. That doesn't mean that we, we view those things as a works mentality, but it, these are, these are the, the providential things that God works through. Our time in the word, our going to him in prayer, making that part of this, this fabric of what it means to be walking with Christ. Because we are in Christ, and, and the soldier who's fighting this battle is fighting this battle seated firmly in Christ. That's what Ephesians is about. Now that soldier goes out and lives with the word of God in prayer, fashioned and covered, strengthened by the armor of God which has been given to him. Lord, help us now not to think of prayer as just something that we do compartmentalizing. But Lord, that it is this communion that we have through Jesus Christ and the strength of the Holy Spirit to God. And Lord, may we, wherever we are in our Christian walk, wherever we are in our prayer um, discipline, Lord, may you allow us to, to evaluate where we are, to begin a process of of growth, learning, planning, and praying. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming before you. May we not take it for granted, Lord. In your name, amen.